0: Hey, some uh, friends of mine just uh, recently came back from Israel, uh, visiting Jerusalem. It's, uh, it's like the religious capital for a lot of major religions in the world, so lots of uh, religious people there, including a group called uh, Orthodox Jews. It's got a big population of Orthodox Jews uh, there, and if you don't know anything about Orthodox uh, Jews, they have a lot of rules, uh, a lot of rules, and, and keep all the Ten Commandments, and like religiously, and one, one of them is especially interesting, it's uh, they want to Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So they have some really intense rules on what people can and cannot do on the Sabbath. And obviously one of them is you cannot work on the Sabbath. That may not seem odd until you realize how they define work. Um, Because uh, here's, here's one of the ways they define work. A mother cannot pick up her child and carry her child on the Sabbath. Because that would be work. A dad cannot push a stroller with their kids in it. Because that would be making effort be put out on the Sabbath, and so that would constitute as work. There's no cooking on the Sabbath. Um, so restaurants are packed in Jerusalem on the Sabbath, because no one can cook, and so they go out to a restaurant where they can, where they can eat. They don't do electronics on the Sabbath. Uh, there's no phones, no computers, because all of that stuff is associated with work, and like it's a gray area, and so they, they don't do any electronics. And... Interesting story my buddy told me is uh, it was it was the Sabbath there and they were going out to eat at a restaurant there was a restaurant on the top of this hotel in uh, in the central part of Jerusalem and um, they walked in and they walked straight over to the elevator and there was this group of um, Jewish guys that were just standing at the elevator just standing around the door and so they thought they were just waiting for the elevator to come down and they were going to get on it and ride up to the to the top floor to the rooftop restaurant and so they were just standing there and uh and, and one of the jewish guys that didn't speak english and so they kind of reached over to him and said are you are you going up in the elevator and the guy said yeah we're, we're going to eat and so the, the the jewish guy pointed like they were all pointing at the button on the wall for the elevator and and somebody was like you, you, may, you may press this so he pressed the button the doors immediately opened the the elevator was there the whole time and, and so when they got in the elevator the doors closed and they were just standing there. And the guy looks at them. these Jewish men were like pointing to the to the buttons on the elevator and he's like you push, push the button, and so my, my buddy reached over and pushed the button for the top floor, and it went all the way up to the top, and it was just so weird. Like, they were bowing to him, thank you so much. And so when they sat down, they had a, a waiter that spoke English, and, and they asked him, he was like, what, what just happened there? <laughs> like, why, why were they standing out the door? And they said, here's the thing. It's against the rules for them to even push the button on an elevator on a Sunday to break the the Sabbath, their Sabbath is a Saturday, to break it on a Saturday. So here's what they do. They will stand around until some non-Jewish pagan walks by, and they will ask them to hit the button for them, and because, because that constitutes his work. And it reminded me about something. I'm not picking on one particular religion, because a lot of religions have this mindset that we want to know the rules, we want to know the laws, but as soon as we establish what the rules are, you know what we look for next Where's the loophole? (laughs) There's all, wherever there's a law, there's a loophole. Wherever there's a rule, someone's going to try to figure out a way to get around it. And it's, it's not just in that religion, it's in every religion. And we want to know the rules, right? We want to know, like, so what does it mean to be a Christian? Do you have to go to church? Do you have to give? What Do you have, do you have to serve? Do you have to do? And, and we want to establish it. We, so once we know all those rules, though, then we begin to pick it apart. Let me find a loophole. I heard you say give. Is that what Christians do? How much? Is it a percentage? Is that how it works? Let me ask you this. Is it a percentage off your gross or your net? Which one is it? Now i got a lot of stuff that automatically comes out of my account. Is it the gross of my paycheck or is it when everything else comes out and then I take the gross of that or the net of that? Or is it, is it the first day of the month or when I have any money left over? Like, I want to give, but I want to know the rules. Is it net or gross? And some people will say, oh, do you have to go to church? What is church? Because I'm going to be honest, when I'm on the lake, I feel really close to God. It's just something about being on a boat. Me and God are together. When I'm out in nature, I connect with God so much better than I do when I'm in a building. You know what? I think I'm going to church next week, and it's going to be in my boat. I'm going to boat church. I'm going to lake church. next. What church do you go to? Lake church. Where is it? It's out on the lake. Uh, and so we want to pick it apart, like these are the rules, now where are the loopholes? And I want to tell you this story, maybe the most popular loophole story in all of scripture. Even if you're not a Christian, you've heard of this story before. Many people will tell this story or quote this story and they don't even know that it's from the Bible. Uh, like non Christians will use specifically these two words. That is the title of this story. And if if God thousands of years ago, if God would have asked me what to title this story, I would call it the Parable of the Big Loophole. God, however, did not ask me my opinion, and so he chose to call it the Parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you have your Bible, we're going to do Luke chapter 10. I want to talk to you about the biggest story, the biggest loophole in all of Scripture and how our tendency as religious people is to find loopholes in every area. You know, loopholes are not just something that religious people do as well. You know, everybody looks for a loophole. Here's here's the way it works. When you're at work, there's a reason why when you got your job, you asked for a job description. You want to know why? Because you want to make sure you do exactly what you're supposed to do and nothing more. (laughs) If anybody ever asks you to do something, you want to be able to pull that out and be like, well, actually, it's not in my job description to do that, so you can find somebody else to do that. You want to know why your boss makes you come in at a certain time and makes you clock out at a certain time? Because we like the bare minimum, and we're only going to do what the rules ask us to And so if we have to be at 9, doggone it, we're going to sit in our car in the parking lot and listen to our radio until 8.59. Because if I go in at 8.55, somebody may call and I may have to pick it up and start working before I'm supposed to start working. And come 5 o'clock, like don't, if my phone rings at 4.59, it's too late. Like I've already done the math in my mind. By the time I pick it up and you figure out what you want, it'll already be past 5. You can call back tomorrow. Takes me two and a half minutes to get down to the stairs to the parking lot so I can leave my desk at 4.57, by the time I get out the front door, it'll be 5 o'clock, I'm done. Bare minimum, that's what we want to do. We want to know the rules, the, the bare minimum, so that we don't do too much, so we don't do too less. And we want to find any loophole that we can, whether it's in religion, about God, or in our job, or any area of our life. And so I want to share with you this story about the big loophole, the big question of loopholes in religion. And I want to share with you four things, if you're uh, jotting down notes, four somethings. Four somethings that, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're not going to be a religious person, known for looking for loopholes and doing the bare minimum, these are four things that we can learn from this story of every aspect of our life to become more like Jesus and understand how to avoid being a religious person. So here's how the story starts in verse 25. Uh, On one occasion, an expert in the law and the law would have been the Old Testament, so a super-religious person stood up to Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? Like, what does the Bible say? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29 but he the man wanted to justify himself so he asked jesus and who is my neighbor the first thing that we learn if you want to know what it means to be a follower of jesus you want to walk with jesus you want to avoid being a religious person here's the first thing we read in the story write this down you got to learn something you you got to learn something you got to know who jesus is not what somebody tells you but like opening up this word this scripture and figuring out who jesus is figuring out who God says he is, what Jesus has done for you. And obviously this guy was really familiar with the Bible. Because as soon as Jesus asked him a question, he immediately knew the answer. He said, "What do I need to do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus says, "I don't know. What does the Bible say?" And this guy pulled out a verse from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Most people don't even can't even find Leviticus in the Bible, but this guy's got it memorized. He's like, what does it take? Oh, I'll tell you, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You get one verse from Deuteronomy, one verse from Leviticus, and Jesus is obviously impressed. He's like, all right, that's, that's great. That's, that's actually the right answer. He knew all of the right answers. You see, the more you know about who Jesus is, the more you understand about what God really thinks about you, the more it changes your life. And hey, man, kudos to this guy for being willing to ask a question. He came up to Jesus. Jesus is God with skin on, God in a body here on earth. And he says, Jesus, what must I do to in- inherit eternal life? Man, do you ever ask yourself the challenging questions? Are you ever willing to be honest and, and, and just ask God challenging questions? Like, God, what is the purpose of my life? Why am I even here? What does it look like to honor you? What happens when you die? What does it mean to live a life of purpose and meaning and significance? What does it mean to have a godly marriage? What does it mean to have great relationships? What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? God, what would it look like to follow you wholeheartedly? I mean, at the very least, like I'm just glad the guy's asking questions. I'm glad he's reading scripture and trying to understand who God is and Jesus and asking very tough questions. I want to challenge you. Would you be willing to study and learn something so that you can grow deeper and move forward in your relationship with Jesus? You want to know something to do to to move forward? Learn something. And and just at the time where I want to pat this guy on the back and say, Man, you're, you're doing a great job, man. I like you. He accidentally kind of tips his hand and he shows us what he's really all about. Because in verse 29 it says, In an attempt to justify himself. In an attempt to make himself look good, in an attempt to prove not only to Jesus, but to himself that he has learned the right answers and that he knows the right things, he asks this golden question, tells you everything you need to know about this guy. Jesus lays out the law. Jesus lays out, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the rules. And the first thing the religious guy says, okay, so... Where's the loophole? Because, Jesus, I want to know, who's my neighbor? Do I have to love everybody? Is everybody my neighbor? I got a neighbor on this side of my house, and I got a neighbor. Are you talking about, like, literal neighbors? Now, what about the guy across the street? He's kind of my neighbor, but he's across the street. He's not, we don't share property, but I see him occasionally. Do I have to love him? What about people that are different than me? Look, if my neighbors are my family and friends, I love family and friends. If they're the people that I work with that like me, that think I'm cool, that dress like me and talk like me and act like me and raise their kids like me and vote like me and all that stuff, like those are my neighbors? Great, I can love them. Who are my neighbors? He's automatically, just like religious people, automatically looking for a loophole. Jesus, I want to know the bare minimum of what I have to do. We've established what the law is. Now let's get down to it. Tell me, Jesus, who is my neighbor? What is the minimum that I have to do, Jesus, and that's oftentimes the questions that dominate the thoughts of religious people. What's the minimum I have to do, the minimum I have to go, the minimum I have to serve? Like, Jesus, can you just give me a bullet point on what it takes so that when I die and I stand in front of you, everything's going to be good, right? No surprises. (laughs) Don't want you to be upset. Tell me now, and I'll do them. Whatever hoops there are, I'll jump through them. I just want to make sure that I'm clear on it. And as soon as Jesus defines the rules, this religious man says, Now, let's, let me figure out a way I can get out of this. Let me figure out a way that can make it easier for me. The path of least resistance, what is this? And let me try to figure that out. Jesus asked him this question, and I love how he pops off the answer. As soon as Jesus asks him, he goes, Oh, I know where that is. I know exactly what the word is. You ever notice that about religious people? Not only do they know a lot, but they love to let you know that they know a lot. <laughs> they love it when other people know how much they know. And this is what this man was doing with Jesus. He's like, yeah, Jesus, I can quote it, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. I know, the, I know it by, by heart. But here's the problem. With most religious people, they choose to stop right here. Learning is good enough. Memorizing is good enough. Doing a Bible study is good enough. Maybe we can talk about what it would look like one day if I ever applied it in my life, but I'm not actually going to do it. And we get excited about memorizing Scripture and going to church and checking off the boxes and following the rules and learning as much as we can about the Bible, but it never moves beyond that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm for learning and studying and being a part of a small group and memorizing Scripture and talking about it. But religious people have given themselves a PhD in understanding what the difference between right and wrong, but yet they are failing miserably at life and love. And this man looks at Jesus and says, Hey Jesus, let me tell you something, I know all of the right answers. You can quiz me, ask me, I can give you the book and the reference. I know everything there is to know. And so when he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? When he says, Jesus, where's the loophole? Here's what Jesus says. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. A pastor a pastor was, was going down this road. And when he saw the man, he crossed the road and passed by on the other side. Those pastors, man. Jeez. So, too, a Levite, this is a guy that worked in the church. This is, a, this is a super Christian, a very religious guy. Not only like loved and followed God, but worked for God. Hung out at the church all the time, was volunteering. Hung out every time the church doors were open, he was there. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, remember we talked about Samaritans last week? Everybody hates Samaritans. It's just like what we all have in common. Nobody likes them. A Samaritan, somebody that no one likes, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. I don't know if you knew this, but the story of the Good Samaritan is Jesus' answer to the lawyer's loophole. He said, how little can I get away with? Who is my neighbor? I don't want to do anything that I don't have to do. And so Jesus hits him with this story. The second thing that Jesus challenges him is this. Not only do I want you to learn something, but I want you to see something. I want you to see the needs around you. I want you to train yourself to begin to see hurting people. See desperate people. Now, Jesus gives us a detail in this story. I'm so thankful that Jesus included that. Jesus actually tells us the exact road that the man was walking on. Jesus did not say it was some old country road or old town road. All right, some of y'all are what's up. Y'all know what's up. Look it up later. He says there was a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a 17-mile road that was notorious For people getting mugged and beaten and robbed. There were many caves and many huge rocks along the roadside that people could hide. And and these are roads that were very common for thieves to be hanging out with. And I think Jesus included that detail. He didn't just say it was some old town road. He said this was the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he gave it to us for a reason. Because I believe he knew that typical religious people, I don't know if you're guilty of this, typical religious people will look at a person in trouble and they will try to justify to themselves why they don't have to help them. The priest would have walked by and said, what were you doing on this road? You're not supposed to be on this road by yourself. did Did you have your money out like this, waving it around? Did you have a big gold chain on your neck? Were you here by yourself? You weren't walking by yourself, were you? Like, were you here late at night, weren't you? Let me tell you what. This is the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. You know what? It's your own fault. It's your own fault you got beat. You had it coming to you. It's your own fault there you're half naked and bleeding on the side of the road. You ever notice how we do that? Sometimes we'll see someone that's in a difficult situation, and we will be quick to judge. You know what we're doing? We're giving ourselves a loophole so that we don't have to love them. Giving ourselves a loophole an excuse as to why we don't have to serve the people that God has called us to serve. We look at people that may be struggling on the side of the road, and we'll say, you know why you're there, right? That's what happens when you make bad decisions. Yeah. You see that, kids? That's why I tell you all to study and do good in school, because that guy dropped out of school. He didn't stay in school, and now that's where he's at. He's on the side of the road holding a sign. He's desperate. You see, this what? you know what? The guy probably does drugs. That girl does drugs, and that's why she's there. She got into drugs, and her whole life fell apart, and now she's straight. That's why I tell you, kids, don't do drugs. And we begin to use those as excuses. I say, oh, well, I don't want to be an enabler. Oh, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to help that person. It's their own fault. These men, according to this story, anybody that passed by could have said, oh, you were on that road at that time of night? Hmm. Well, you get what you deserve. Sorry, you should have known better. And we use it as a pass so that we don't have to help people. Those are loopholes for us personally. It gives us an excuse not to help others, not to love others, not to show the love of God to others. And that's exactly what these first two men did. And all of a sudden this Samaritan, this guy that nobody likes, that nobody respects, stops and sees something, sees a need and has pity on the man. Verse 34, The Samaritan went up to him and bandaged his wounds, Pouring on oil and wine. It's like old school Neosporin. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, two days wage, and gave him to the innkeeper. And said, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. I want you to notice where verse 33 leaves off. Because it says the Samaritans saw him and had compassion and had pity on him. And unfortunately for most religious people, that's where it stops. You can even learn something and see something. You can even get to the point to where you have compassion on somebody. You ever saw somebody in need and walked away and thought, wow, man, that's that's a big need. My goodness, that's that's a hard life. That's really difficult. Maybe you hear about a story or a need here or halfway around the world that'll even like pull at your emotional heartstrings a little bit. You know, it may bring a tear to your eye. Man, so, so many people are hurting. So many needs. It's overwhelming the amount of needs around us. It's overwhelming what the world is going through. And some religious people will even learn how to throw out some words. They'll, they'll look at people that are hurting and say, Man, God bless you. I hope you can find some help. Man, I hope you can find some food. Man, I hope somebody steps up and helps you and and we can get emotional about it. We can think, man, there's so many hurting, broken people and we can see things. And five seconds later we walk away and say, all right, so what do do y'all want to do for dinner tonight? What are we doing? What's up? Where are we we going? Y'all want to go to a movie? Y'all want to get some pizza? What's the deal? Compassion without action is useless. James says, faith without words is dead. Who cares if you care, but don't do anything about it? See, verse 33 says the Samaritan saw and he had compassion. But I love how verse 34 jumps in and says this. Here's the the third point. He gave something. Hey, you want to learn how to be like Jesus? You want to learn what it means to follow Jesus? Learn something. See something. Number three, give something. This man opened up his heart, opened up his life, opened up his wallet to meet a need. Here's what he saw. He saw the need, and he decided to give something. Now notice, I want you, is it still clear? this says give something. It doesn't say be stupid, okay? Like, read that. Is it big enough? It doesn't say be stupid. Single girls, if you're riding around in a car, and you see some sketchy dude on the side of the road who says, Hey, can you give me a ride somewhere? Keep going, okay? Like, roll a window up in Jesus' name and keep going. Like, don't be dumb. <laughs> well, I got a pastor said I got to meet a need. That's a good way to be a missing person. <laughs> don't walk up to some guy on the side of the road and be, hey, here's $500 in cash. God bless you. I trust you're going to do the right thing with it and spend it wisely. Okay? says give something. do doesn't say be stupid. Here's what this man did. He saw a need and said, I want to figure out how I can meet a need. Here's the first way that he gave. He gave something by giving his time. Can I tell you that wherever the Samaritan was going that day, he didn't make it. (laughs) He was on that road, and wherever he was going, I don't know if he was going to a meeting or a dinner or going to meet with his family, he never made it because in the middle of that 17-mile road, he stopped and he gave his time to that man. He pulled out his first aid kit and bandaged his wounds. He threw him on his donkey and he rode him to the inn. Scripture even says that he spent the night at the hotel with the guy. To, just to meet and eat, just to make sure that he was taken care of. I mean, the guy was half dead, okay? He just wanted to make sure. The second thing he gave was his money. He gave generously, he gave of his resources. My first aid kit, my wine and my oil, my bandages, my donkey, my money. Did you see what the guy did? He rolled up to the hotel, came up to the counter and said, Hey, here's, here's two days' wages. Do the math. It's about $300 he flopped down on the counter said, "I said, I want you to take care of this guy. And did you catch what he said right before he left? This guy was so generous, he didn't even put a cap on how much money he was willing to spend. He said, anything that needs to be done, any need that this man has, I will be coming back down this road in a few days and I will pay you the money, whatever it costs. He didn't say, hey, here's the deal, man. I got $200. Ride it as long as it goes, (laughs) right? Right? If $200 gives out, you better find some cheaper Band-Aids or you, like, you need to move him from the penthouse down to the office. Let him sleep on the office floor because once $200 is gone, it's gone. Like You're on your own then. You got to figure it out. Kick him out for all I care. No. He said, do whatever it takes to help this man. And when I come back, I'll, I'll pay you. I will give you the money. No limit. Whatever the money costs. And that's a big promise. Can I remind you that the dude was half dead? Like he's not just like well he's got a bump on his head he had some aspirin he'll be okay and he was half dead, bloody and beaten. There's no telling what it would take to get this guy back up on his feet. And the man said, "Whatever it takes, I'll give that. I'll give it. If this two hundred dollars isn't enough, when I see you again, then I'll bring some more money with me just in case." And as I talk to people, I, I hear a similar story. I hear a heart like this. I talk to people that say, "You know what, Nathan? I really I want to give." I want to be generous. I want to give something. There's needs all around me. There's needs in my family. There's needs with my friends. I see needs in the city. I hear about needs in the church. And man, Nathan, honestly, I want to give. The problem is I'm broke. Like I'm strapped. I got nothing to give. I've I've shared this stat with you before. Over 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, which means the day before you get paid, even if there was a need that God put in front of you, you wouldn't have any money. There's no way that you can give. And I meet people that say, I want to give more. I want to be generous, but I don't have it. So I love the fact that Jesus includes this detail in the story that he said, not only did the Samaritan see the need, but the Samaritan had money. The former prime minister of England, Margaret Thatcher, once said this. She said, no one would remember the story of the good Samaritan if he just had good intentions. The reason reason we remember the story is because he had money. If you don't have anything to give, then you can't be generous, no matter how bad you want to be generous. So I want to give you an opportunity, just giving you a heads up. This fall, we're going to teach a financial peace class here at Revo. It's going to be limited seating, so as soon as you hear about the sign-up in September, sign up for it. It's not just for people that are bad in debt. It's not just for people that are struggling. It's for people, maybe like you, that wish that you could be more generous. That that wish that, that you could be to a place where if you saw a need, you could meet a need. So we're going to teach you how to get out of debt, how to save money. how to do. And listen, man, just give something. You don't have to give it here. If you're like, oh, well, he's going to teach me how to give so I can give him more money. Go give it somewhere else. I don't care. Just give something. I just don't want you to be a slave to your finances. So we're going to teach you how you can be a generous person. Because if the Samaritan didn't have money, then he wouldn't be able to give any money. So learn something. See something. And give something. Here's the last one. Here's how the story ends. Which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man that fell into the hands of the robbers, Jesus asked. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want you to learn something. I want you to see something. I want you to give something. And number four, I want you to do something. This is where the rubber meets the road right here. A lot of people like to learn and study and memorize. A lot of people can see needs. But where it comes to a grinding halt is where people are actually willing to do something. Listen to how Jesus closed it out. He said, now go and do the same. He doesn't say, now go and study. He doesn't say, now go and think. Now go and memorize. Now go to a Bible study. Now go to another church service. Now go talk to some friends in your community about what it would look like maybe one day if you ever actually did something. No, go and do it. Go and do. Go and do. I want to tell you a story about a honey bun. Hopefully when you sat down, you had a honey bun. If you already ate your honey bun, slowly get the honey bun on the seat beside you and pretend like you didn't (laughs) eat yours. Let me tell you a story about a honey bun. Uh, I lived in New Orleans, my wife and I did, uh, for some years. And um, when I first moved to New Orleans, I began to notice that much like any large metropolitan area, there was a problem with homelessness. But this was bigger than any problem I had ever seen. They were actually cities made of tents under bridges where homeless people would live. They were cities made of cardboard and scrap wood. They were makeshift shelters for homeless people. They were everywhere. It was a huge problem. A lot, a lot of ministries in, in New Orleans centered around helping that homeless population. And when I first moved there, I tried to learn the most about the problem, mainly learn about the areas of the city that I should probably avoid after hours the areas of the city that were dirty and nasty, the areas that, that had these tent cities in them that you know you would be approached and it might not ne- necessarily be the safest thing. I, I saw the need, too. I mean, these, these people were everywhere. Many of them holding signs, asking for things. You could see by the way they looked or the clothes they dressed, or where they would hung out, hang out. You could just see. You just noticed. So I began to, to see the problem. But I, but I had a loophole. Because every time I would come up to a homeless person or a a person that was asking or begging for money on the side of the road, they they would always have a sign that we're asking for something. And I'd I'd roll down my window and with a smile on my face, I'd be like, sorry man, no cash. I don't carry cash. Who carries cash? And I began to use that as a reason and I could drive off with a clear conscience because I didn't have any money. I didn't carry any money with me. So unless you got one of those Little machines connected to your sign where I can swipe my card like, sorry, man, I can't can't help you. And then I slowly realized something that I began to use. I don't have any money as an excuse for not loving people like God called me to love them. I began to use that as an excuse for me stepping to the other side of the road and walking past a need that God had directly in front of me. And so I saw the need and I had compassion, but ultimately I had to give something. So here's what I did. I went to Sam's went to Sam's Club, and I bought a box of honey buns, 12 honey buns in a box, individually wrapped, sugar-coated, delicious honey buns. And here's what I did. I took that box of honey buns, and I dumped it in the console, the middle console of my car. And I would give those honey buns. Every time I'd come by a sign, because I noticed something about the signs, they all read the same thing. Hungry, anything helps. And so I would come by, and those dozen honey buns, I would give them away. I'd give away about 10 or 11 of them, because I'd always eat one of them. But I would try to give the majority of them away. And I would every time I'd come up to somebody, I would roll down the window and be like, hey man, how about a honey bun? You hungry? And not a single person ever told me no. Not a single person ever turned a honey bun down. Who turns a honey bun down? Nobody. And I got really good at it, man. You know, I, I wouldn't even have to stop. Like, as I was driving past the intersection, if I saw somebody on this side of the road, I'd roll down the window. I'd toss a honey bun out the window. <laughs> i like, hey, honey bun. <laughs> you like that form? Honey bun. <laughs> if they were on this side, I could roll the passenger side, and I'd throw it like a frisbee. I'd just throw it out to the window. Honey bun. Honey bun. Coming in hot. And gave, I gave, I, I bet I'd a thousand honey buns away. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, well, you know, it's not really nourishing you should really give something can you read the sign it said hungry anything helps it doesn't say i'm on keto throw me a salad okay get over it zip it it's a honey bun everybody loves a honey bun you know how much that honey bun cost 35 cent you can go to sam's right now and buy a box of honey bun trust me i know i bought these 400 that we have here today 35 cent can you do that would you be willing to just start there? Hey, man, I just want you to take a step. Well, I can't afford to be generous. Now you can. Take that honey bun and put it in the console of your car. The next time you see a mead, meet a need. See if you can get good and toss it and hit the sign. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> see a need. See a need, meet a need. Can you start there? Would you be willing to open up your mind and learn something? Would you be willing to open up your hand and give something? Would you be willing to open up your eyes and see something? Would you be willing to open up your heart and actually do something? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Would you learn that? Would you learn that? There are people all around us that are hurting, and they're in trouble. Would you be willing to see that? Just open up your eyes and see that? You have something in your hand right now that can meet the most basic of needs. Could you give that? Would you give that? Jesus says that your devotion for God is illustrated, demonstrated, and proven by the way that you love others. And Jesus closes the story by saying, Now go and do the same. Go and do it. Go and do it. I don't want to be a church that's known for good intentions. I want to be a church that's known for learning, for seeing, for giving and for doing.